world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. thought it was over with angels in the outfield. You thought it was over when Third Rock from the Sun went to syndication. Surpri- surprisingly, has a strong career for really not having done anything in the last five to ten years. He was in Angels in the Outfield? <laughs> That's been a while, though. Wait, it's been but a while. But he minute. was in that? He's thought... the main character, is man. No. Is he? No. Joseph Gordon-Levitt what? is the kid in Angels in the Outfield. Is this new? Are no. you guys new? I will bet you all of my Star Wars guys, uh, except Boba Fett. It uh, is. No matter it, how sure I am, I never this. risk the Fett really man. is. That's a surprise. I yeah. did not know this. How did you not know this? How did you not, every time he pops up, go, hey, he was an Angels in the Outfield. Because he just hey. looks like a generic kid from suburban America. Like I. <laughs> oh, are you saying we all look alike, Aldo? For the kid? <laughs> I'm, I'm saying there's a reason Joseph He's the main character. It's marketable. If you say that you watched Angels in the Outfield for the kid and not for Christopher Lloyd and Danny Glover, you are a lying liar who lies. Uh, I watched for Tony Danza, thank you very much. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> Funny every time. Every single time. That was that was the, the Coldplay song. Are we human or Tony Danza? Oh my gosh, I... Listen, I draw the oh, line on Elton John. You, you, you outlaw, you out Aldo, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Uh, those dad jokes, telling you. They whisper to me in the night. The dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of of whispers in the night. Welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Hopefully at least one of you out there turns this on as you're lying in bed so that our dulcet tones could whisk you off to a restful slumber. Okay. Okay, but like actually how terrible how terrible of a curse would that be? That like you don't have an angel or demon or something in your like that whispers to you. It's just dad jokes. Just consistent <laughs> dad jokes. And like you think oh, it's man. funny maybe the first hour, but then like it's, it's you know, 10 at night, you're tired, and you're just like, oh, I'm so tired. And then, like, the little dad joke whispers in your ear, I'm so tired. <laughs> you're like... <laughs> just kill me. Yeah. Just give me the sweet release from oh this Oh my gosh, curse. that would actually be, like, a really good short story. <laughs> oh gosh. It starts off as, like, a goofy, a goofy comedy, and then it ends up being, like, the worst horror. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, my name is, is Steven. I've got John and Aldo with me. We are here to talk about some digital-only offerings available exclusively through the Marvel Unlimited app. I thought we would give these a try. Unless you print them and then tape them to the side of your house so you could read them in one fell swoop. Yeah, like, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't just put these in a book, though. They'd have to be, like, on the edge of a door frame. A scroll. Or, like... I was going to read them on a Peloponnesian scroll of some kind, some sort of ancient Indeed, civilization. Yes. Yeah. So, what actually, the scroll? I, I have been reading... I have been reading quite a few, uh, like, web... Like, uh, I don't want to call them webtoons because that's 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 the that's the Photoshop thing. That's, that's the, the one thing. platform. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Well, what I mean is like it's that thing where like uh, you don't call a thing by its proper name. You call it by like the popular brand, like Post-it notes, Kleenex, or super glue, Kleenex. Yeah. 
Zero I guess there is the format called webtoons. So you mean web comics or yeah, yeah, yeah it's not just web comics. It's a specific format of web comic that's designed to be read on the phone. So, so I originally called them, or I, I learned of them as manhua, like H W A, because that yeah. was specific to Korea. But ever since that format has gone international, it's kind of that like is Avatar anime debate. Is it the format <laughs> that makes it a manhua or a smanhua? Just part of a different... Is it a specific thing within the medium? Like, you know... Uh, anyways, vertical I, digital comics. I always thought that manhua was just like the, the Korean word for manga. So it was just comics. I, I always um, understood it to be specific to, to that. Like, that was the difference. Interesting. There does need to be a good term for this sort of like vertical scrolling uh, comic, right? Because yeah. now it's pretty pervasive. And honestly, I think it's pretty fun. I submit a name, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. Because <laughs> they're easy to scroll through when you are on the throne. It's, I don't uh, think that name's been used. I think we should go for it. We can pass that up the chain. But uh, Alright, well, we had a uh, couple of different offerings from Uncle John's Bathroom Reader this nice. afternoon, See? this evening. Uh, See? I, I it just rolls it. off the tongue. It's very, very simple. Yep. So... Why don't we go ahead and start with... I feel like Shang-Chi is probably the one that we have the least to say about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with Shang-Chi. The, the summary for this should actually be pretty quick, because there's not that much to it. Um, so Shang-Chi here was written by Alyssa Wong... With pencils and inks by Nathan Stockman and colors by Triona Farrell. Uh, this is a very straightforward story. Um, oh, and letters by Josebino. I, I almost forgot the letters. Shang-Chi and his uh, friends, Leika Wu, who is with MI6, and Ami Han, who is the White Fox. I believe we read her in the uh, Agents with the Agents of Atlas story that we we uh, read a couple weeks back. I think so, yeah. Yeah, they happen to meet up and just like coincidentally uh, in Seoul, they happen to be nearby when there is a, what appears to be some sort of like terrorist attack. This uh, These little gas bombs explode and all the people who are caught in the, the gas turn into trees and it's kind of, you know, terrifying body horror sort of thing. So Shang-Chi and crew track down the... Uh, Folks who they believe are the perpetrators of this, and turns out to be AIM, Advanced Ideas Mechanics, they're, they're bad guys. Uh, they try to rescue this one scientist who's like, oh, help me, AIM is bad, and they did all this stuff. But no, it turns out the scientist is actually the bad guy. Uh, she goes by the name of Dr. One of those that you can you can type it out, but you can't say it, and so it's a dumb That's name. That's not a great supervillain name. No. It's like Dr. Gelmenium, something like that. Yeah. I could have sworn there was an S in there, like Gelsimian. Dr. Geranium? Dr. Ooh. Is she a perennial, perennial or an annual? That's what I always get mixed up in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gelsinium. Yeah. That's not yeah. clunky at all. It's a little clunky. So she's just, you know, kind of your stereotypical mad scientist, um, very obsessed with this uh, toxic plant that she has used to, like, develop this serum that gives people plant body parts, and now she's going to use it to turn everybody into plants. I don't know that she has much in the way of, like, significant character development. Um, anyway, she turns one of Shang-Chi's friends into a tree, 
Um, and it's like sad. And then Shang-Chi and uh, the, the white fox team up to fight her. And it's a big fight. And then uh, Leika Wu, who was turned into the tree, she like breaks out of the tree and starts fighting uh, Dr. Jocenium as a tree. And then they beat Dr. Jocenium and they have an antidote and they save the day. Very, very straightforward superhero story. So what did you guys think of it? Not bad. Um, I thought I was not a huge fan of the format, except I think they did some interesting things with it. Um, when we see Leiko, is the one who gets uh, put into the tree, right? Right. I had, I, I was blanking on her name and I didn't, yeah. it's, it's Leiko who was turned into the tree. I just, I realized that in summarizing this and talking about this, it's going to be difficult to refer to specific moments because it's like, uh, scroll down halfway from issue four and you'll see, you know, it's not like there's a page number. Um, I get right. kind of the appeal of this. I don't know if it's for me, but I also like, I, I don't know. I, I liked it. I think the art, like, you know, was in the writing, everything was like competently done. I did see a couple of like digital art kind of, um, they didn't like there, there's like some lines that you get sometimes when you're copying art over or moving art over with the lasso tool and digital art. And so there's like these little things where it's like, ah, oh, you didn't need, you didn't neaten things up when you were, you know, arranging everything. So that's, oh, that interesting. was annoying. I missed that. Yeah. That was like, that's like the nitpickiest nitpick that there is, but if it's a professional comic, like, there shouldn't be these lines, you know, like, um, yeah, like, uh, the, I mean, any any of these, like, uh, the, you know, you'll find them if you look in between, like, some of these. Like, when there's white space between different parts of the, sc- the scroll, you'll see. But, saying that, now, we get this cool transformation when Leiko comes out of the tree. Like, she can't hear you, none of them can, and they're fighting against the doctor, but then we get this, psh, the smoke turns into the tree it turns into the branches and the upper leaves of the tree which turns into the tree trunk which goes down and and it like looks like it's roots but then it's really zooming in on the face in the tree and then it cracks apart as you scroll down and then Lako comes out and um, um, she like jumps out and like there's a, a spiral of of, uh, of leaves and everything all around her and then um, it goes back into the fight scene that's happening just outside the trees. So there are interesting things they did with the format, and the art was good, and the colors are great. And so it was. It took some getting used to because of you're not really read comics like this before. But I think that you know, simple story, but you know, all done well enough that this is a good comic. I would recommend to people. Um, this is not one that's going to be on the bottom of our list. It's not the best, but it's definitely not bad at all. So that was, that was, you know, my two cents, I guess. I didn't like the convenient antidote, the convenient, (laughs) I didn't like the convenient scientists who just happened to be working for Shang-Chi. Now, later we find out that, um, you know, they were all involved with his father who was a bad guy and, and they, uh, you know, that there was a bit more fleshing out of that. It's not like they just, uh, we work for you. Here we are. Ta-da. It was, they were part of this organization already that Shang-Chi recently took over. So it's like, all right, there's a little bit like that, but it is kind of like, oh no, we have to stop this thing. Oh look, the people who, the exact people we have to stop this thing, you know, it's just, yeah, but that's not really, I mean, I don't think that's really what this is about. This is about, like, we're going to try to tell a story in this crazy vertical format. 
that would like I wonder how long this would be if you printed it out at comic size but I guess like it takes up your whole screen things that would be in one little panel of a page take up the whole screen which is kind of cool like I'm looking at uh, Shang-Chi fighting the doctor you know big tree arms cracking against each other and I don't know there's there's some cool stuff here Aldo's yeah. silence makes me think he, he's going to rip it apart. No, not at all. Um... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes no, I don't know I didn't like something until everyone votes against me. Huh? <laughs> no, it's just, I, I have to agree with you. The story is pretty straightforward and there's kind of not a whole lot of frills here, but you don't really need that all the time, right? So I really enjoyed, you know, it was a pretty simplistic story. It's kind of, you know, there's point A, point B, point, point C. Uh, it's not really trying to tell anything super important, I guess. But uh, it's one of the but it's one of those things where I really like the format. Like I was trying to mention earlier, is I've been reading like other manhwa, especially for like a while. And or, or what do we call them? Like Doctor John's bathroom readers? Was that it? Yep, that's the one. It occurs to me that if you print all of these out, they would go really well on toilet paper. <laughs> well, isn't that a little dis? I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> It would work, but hey, isn't that a little disrespectful I to the artist. I didn't name him. Yeah, it's that was just, yours. It's just you know fulfilling the prophecy of the name, right? Mm-hmm. No, guys, it's a big book that sits on the back <laughs> of your toilet, so you have something to read on the can. Where have you been? Don't you have relatives that are like you know? Not anymore. We, oh. <laughs> oh not, okay, not in that way. I I, I get where no, you were gosh, going. Anyway, Aldo, you were saying. I was saying. I okay. had some dysentery in my family. Thanks a lot, John. <laughs> okay, so okay, so I have to, <laughs> I have to preface this by by stating that I read like the first two issues of this on my iPad. And the iPad has, I believe, is like a four by three ratio screen. So it's not really like the ten nine or or whatever the um. The standard like widescreen format of like most cell phones do so the art takes up the art is shorter on the ipad it takes up um i don't want to say it takes up more of the screen but each individual panel does take up more of that vertical real estate and it makes the comics feel a lot busier because you're kind of you're really going from panel to panel without that breathing room in between because you're just kind of going past it right so i had to switch over to reading on my phone and it gave the comic a lot of breathing room interesting i actually did wonder how these would read it on the tablet because i read them on my phone yeah i i kind of did that in the name of science i did on my ipad <laughs> so and now i'm wondering if i missed something uh, maybe. I, I, I think they feel really heavy. They're just not meant for that format, kind of in the same way that the regular Marvel, not regular, I guess the standard Marvel and DC and, you know, Western American comics are typically based for. Like, that works really well on the iPad. I use my iPad to read a lot of comics, uh, American and Japanese. I never use it for Korean stuff precisely for this reason oh, yeah. so this was interesting to me and i th- at first i was like "Ugh, we we just can't figure this out everything feels too busy why is why are we drawing this like a regular comic book but vertical and then it wasn't until i switched to my phone it's like that's right these are not meant for i guess like regular screen ratios these are meant to be tall these are meant to be kind of swiped through you know at a kind of leisurely pace not the same way that like you would swipe on it on on an ipad i felt so i thought that was really interesting so once i did that i I felt like it just flowed a little better especially when you're going from like panel to panel 
Dang it, yeah. now I have to reread this in, in that different format. <laughs> it's a quick read. I mean that's kind of, that's also yeah, the thing that's I that's, that's also the thing I really like about these is and I don't know I again I don't know if it's because of the format or because actually yeah, it's because of the format. What I'm trying to say though is I don't know if if, if it flows faster because it's vertical or because it's vertical that we tend to not write as much for the comic because these ones felt really fast. I read these, I think both of these in like under like an hour, just yeah, casually. they were quick reads. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know if you know it's if it's because of one reason or the other, but they they were really fast. Well, and I'm also reasonably certain that they're shorter. Like there are fewer panels, fewer words than you would get in an 18 page or 24 page floppy magazine. Yes. Yes. Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff that they do in this that you couldn't do in the floppy magazine. So I'm like, I don't want every comic to be in this style designed specifically for scrolling on your phone. For one thing, the larger, uh, you know, magazine size, those are so fun to read on an iPad. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know what it is about reading comics on an iPad. It's just so fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, like, I'm glad we have both because sometimes you just want a quick, digestible bite of something. And that's why, like, I like Webtoons for that. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, my giant nerd boyfriend. (laughs) I I, His name is Alto. (laughs) And he's not that tall. (laughs) Yeah, I would be interested to know who else has been able to pull off this style, because I've I've done I've read have. some webtoons and like on the webtoons app or whatever, and it's I think it it's fine for that kind of thing, but like comics, comics, it's interesting. Like I, yeah, yeah, like it's, it's an interesting shift. And actually, one of the things I want to say, I I know we're so off a tangent off of that off of Shang Chi, <laughs> but I feel I feel like we're still pretty relevant to kind of the point of this episode, right? Which is uh, right. You know, Doctor John's bathroom reading format comics. Sure, sure. Uh, but because you say because you said that you know these are exclusive to this format, and you you really couldn't print them out. But it's not that's not really a hundred percent true, Be- and it goes both ways because we had because Marvel transferred a couple of their comics to this format. One of them being a favorite of the podcast, Mary Jane Loves Spider Man, has been kind of yep. cut up. Now and- we should. I mean, <laughs> look. Listen, it's two-thirds of the podcast. That's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Majority rule, John. You like it. Yeah. Democracy. (laughs) It's the best form of government except for all the other... Or (laughs) worst form of government except for all the other... Yeah, whatever Churchill said. Uh, (laughs) So so that one has been kind of cut up and, you know, uh, manipulated to fit into this, you know, vertical format. And one of the comics that i'm reading called like solo leveling not too long ago started coming out in paperback form so they've been i haven't picked it up yet so i don't know how that transitions but they've been transitioning it from a vertical format to like a standard uh like comic book format um so that'll be really interesting to read once i get my hand on it so i thought that was kind of interesting and and what I'm appreciating about the the comics that we chose today so shang chi being the first one the one that we're supposed to be talking about um is that it was written and drawn specifically for the format. It wasn't repurposed for it. Right. But I do kind of want to read Do you know what these remind me of? What? You remember Wednesday Comics? Yes. Yeah. I recently... Like these weirdly <laughs> reminded me of Wednesday Comics. I recently tried to purchase the hardcover for it. Uh, that is a $100 book. Ooh, that is a $100 book that I still have that my cat threw up on once. So it's probably only 90 So... <laughs> I'll pay you 80 <laughs> So Wednesday Comics, if you're not familiar 
was an experiment that DC pulled probably about 10 years ago now, where they published comics. Uh, there were like 12 different stories, uh, each one starring one of their main heroes. So there was a Superman story, a Batman story, a Wonder Woman story, a Supergirl, Green Lantern. Wasn't one of them like each, Kandar, the prehistoric uh, boy? Kamandi. Yeah, is he yeah, Kamandi. He's actually a Jack Kirby creation. He's he's from the future. He's the last remaining human in a post-apocalyptic world that is basically Planet of the Apes, except also there are tigers who are apes. Well, then they're not tigers anymore, Stephen. They're they're apes. They're like a bunch of humanoid animals, and Kamandi is the only human. Um, but anyway, so they published these stories in installments, weekly installments, I think it was weekly, and every issue was a newspaper-sized sheet of paper, and so each comic, like, each page of each of the stories was printed the size of a newspaper. And the idea was to to go back to the time when comics were relatively new, and uh, that's how they were printed. If you look at, like, old comics like Little Nemo's Adventures in Slumberland. They're printed on these enormous sheets of paper. And the idea was to kind of let the art show off. And so it was this sort of formal experiment with something that we are really accustomed to encountering in a particular format, which is, you know, the superhero 18 to 24 page floppy. The biggest criticism that people had of Wednesday Comics is that Wednesday Comics didn't do much with the format. And they just uh, made basically large superhero pages. And sometimes they would do things like the Wonder Woman comic. They would cram as many panels as they could Mm -hmm. onto that page. So it's actually kind of hard to read. I don't know. I still thought it was an interesting experiment. I do not think I could leverage the same sorts of criticisms at at Shang-Chi. Yeah. Uh, Because the art in Shang-Chi, as John kind of pointed out, could not be printed in a book because it does some neat things. Like Mm -hmm. he pointed out the... Like the scrolling down when you uh, are are watching Leiko Wu break out of the tree, which I that was one of my favorite images. There's this great uh, little transition in the first issue where Shang-Chi is talking to Ami Han and you scroll down and he's wearing like this dorky hat and this scarf. But as you scroll down, the scarf like kind of morphs to uh and it turns into this sort of like frame on a window and you keep scrolling down and it morphs into this tower and they're in the elevator like writing the tower down so there are some nice tricks like that same issue or the same issue that first one as they're running in and out of the gas like the border is pink when they're running towards the gas and when they're running out of the gas it gets lighter and we get the white border again and as you scroll down and things get more intense, the pink gets more intense and darker red and darker red and darker red. Uh, they just, they do some really interesting things with the act of scrolling that I think is a lot of fun. And so even though the story itself is not much to write home about, I actually think, and, and this is coming from someone who has read a lot of North American writers try to write in this style. I haven't actually read a lot of Korean uh creators korean manhwa in this format but this is these are tricks that a lot of american creators who try to write in this struggle with and so this is i think a really good introduction to what makes this format special yes i i wholeheartedly agree i think there's some really cool things here that we don't think about right because i think when we think about comics in their standard western format we think a lot about panels and kind of the the layout Mm -hmm. of the page right so when you when you have that layout of the page is so drastically different it changes how you think about panels one of the things i noticed at least reading the captain america comics and the shang chi comics so it applies to both of them i promise is that (laughs) is that it, it it kept switching between this is a panel and this is like a gimmick 
transition. It doesn't, the, the, the confidence to just switch between the two of those or kind of incorporate aspects of the two isn't really there like a hundred percent. There are moments where like the flow of, of like panels or, and kind of the sc- <laughs> the flow of, of scrolling between the panels and, and that type of thing works really well at some points. And what I'm trying to say is that like, I think the big problem here is that we're so used to, f- especially Western artists and writers probably, are so used to filling up a page that when we're given this format, it feels like most of the time we're afraid to let that breathe. So a lot of the images take all all the space from left to right, all the horizontal space, if that makes sense. So so that's part of like why I had to switch over from the iPad to the phone. It's because you get a lot of that and you don't get smaller panels that just kind of take up a little bit of the thing. So I, I hope that comes across what I'm trying to say. I'm not sure. Um, I think I get, I, get I get it. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a little hard to kind of point out, but it's just one of those things I've noticed, at least from... Because unlike, like, kind of like Steven, I've read a lot of, uh, you know, vertical comics, but most of the ones I've read has have been Korean ones, and there is a certain confidence with the format that is apparent in those comics, or it's not apparent until you read non-Korean creators uh, on it, and you, you see how the different approaches to it. Yeah. I do think it's a lot, like you say, about, you know, having the confidence in the story and, and like, it's, it's about pacing, right? People know how to pace. Well, I shouldn't say people know how to pace because having, like, dabbled at making some, like, really, really short comic stories myself, pacing is actually really hard. But I think a lot of, again, professionals feel really confident in making their, uh, or in pacing their stories when they're dealing with a comics page. When they're dealing with what's uh, what's his name uh, Scott McCloud, um, understanding comics, the understanding Scott comics guy. That's the one. Yeah, uh, he uh, calls it the infinite canvas because really you can do anything. Yeah, like your your limit is how much how many images you can store online affordably, right? Like that's that's that determines how much you can actually put in here. So there's a lot you can do, and the potential is pretty pretty exciting but potential isn't the same as actualization it's actually kind of difficult to pace this all right and so again the shang chi story is not necessarily the strongest from a narrative standpoint but the fact that it was executed so well is not nothing yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah I, and i was not expecting to like this and did anyway like not because it was <laughs> shang chi because it was like i i think it's they had some digital comics 20 years ago like right around the same time as the spider-man movie came out where it was like one panel at a time or one page at a time where like you'd click through and they'd kind of populate with things Did like the ghost Ra- like the like the ghostwriter comic we read a while back but the no, it was, oh, it yeah. was different somehow i don't know i read spider-man and it was kind of like a ultimate universe style not like not like i get you it was like a tv universe that like it was like, all right, dummies, I'm going to take all the Spider-Man stuff you think you know and make it real palatable and easy to follow and familiar with all these characters that have been mentioned and stuff. And um, I remember that. and It wasn't good compared to comics that we've read on this show. And so it was, uh, I was thinking it would be more of that. But it wasn't. It was like a good comic and an interesting format. And they, at least the Shang-Chi story, like they did interesting things about it. Like we about so i am also curious about like how you consider colors here because so kind of kind of to go back to that conversation about wednesday comics 
one of the big deal one of the one of the big deal aspects of making those comics was that they had to change how they did coloring for the newspaper paper because the original releases were in like newspaper type paper which I have newsprint. those I, yeah newsprint yeah I have the first 12 issues I want to get the hardcover but I have the first 12 issues and there's kind of a similar thing to it right because when they transfer those comics over to the to the paperback they also have to go back and change the colors to make sure that they look good on glossy white so i'm curious about like since we're skipping the middleman of you know, printed paper how do we look at how you know how do they consider colors i i don't know i don't have the answer to that at all that's interesting though because yeah that's not something that needs to be taken into account like is this gonna look okay you know cmyk versus rgb like Mm -hmm. you know this is even ones that are made digitally still are printed well i think and i think one of the bigger things is also like gradation like Mm -hmm. how well you go from one color to another and i and i don't know (laughs) i felt like a little bad because there's there's one it's so weird to call them panels because this isn't a panel but it's one of those things where like shang chi is fighting dudes in the smoke and then you scroll down and then it's i think it's white fox also and Leiko and they're saving people from the smoke but as you're scrolling down there is a difference in the pink smoke from from the two like panels so it it kind of looks like they are maybe two different types of smoke but also like maybe they couldn't decide whether these are two different panels or we're using the smoke as a as a you know continuation of this of the energy i guess and i noticed it because it was just like two slightly different shades of pink and i was just like what it's so funny that we got on the topic of of colors because uh although you dropped in the chat a while back uh video from comic tropes the youtube channel yes um I have actually started watching a lot of his videos, and he did. He is not a Nazi. I had to take some time. Oh, to look thank it up goodness! I was about to ask you. Hey, oh. did we did we find out where he landed on this? <laughs> sometimes with those with those uh, comic book YouTubers, you got to be careful. But anyway, um, one of the videos that I watched earlier today was uh, him talking about how coloring worked in comics, and like he talks about the considerations people making decisions for the colors based on how it would appear when it ultimately appeared on the page and how when uh archivists and well let's be real the companies warner brothers and disney you know dc Marvel, <laughs> the companies that own these properties like when they recolor the books for collections they wind up like kind of muting or misrepresenting the original effect that those stories had uh just by not taking into account what what they were going to look like when those colors were brought onto higher quality paper than where they were originally printed it's just interesting conversation. Yeah, I know for a while Marvel and I think DC were both kind of republishing a lot of the newspaper comics uh, in these big collections, like these big cheap collections that were done kind of on newspaper or newsprint. And I uh-huh. wonder if that was both an economic and an artistic decision or just, just an economic one because it was cheap because they sold those books <laughs> for cheap. I think back in the day, and, and I'm paraphrasing from like a... Neil Adams like explaining it to Kevin Smith so forgive me <laughs> that's like the weirdest <laughs> third hand story but he talks about comics were printed as a way for printer like pr- guys who like printed stuff books whatever to make sure that their printers were always running because you know as soon as your workers are just you know sitting around doing nothing and your printer's not running then you're losing money and so they would, they would make um, take newsprint and they'd make crossword puzzles they'd make 
other editions of, t of the paper, whatever, and they would print on this cheap, crappy paper, like, you know, comic books and stuff. And only when the medium got, like, bigger and more popular would they spend any money, you know, because for a long, long time it was still printed on crappy, crappy paper. And then at some point they, they went to special, I think there's, like, like I don't know if it's a paper mill or a company or whatever it is in Quebec that, like, makes special comic paper that, you know, was, holds up a bit more than, you know, some of this old stuff that was just printed on just toilet paper garbage. So, like I'm saying, you printed out toilet paper. Done. <laughs> I mean, it was still in a book. It wasn't on a, like a ream. <laughs> I guess it was okay. It, it was started on a, on a ream, and then. Ah. <laughs> 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 <sighs> um. So we talked a lot more about Shang Chi than I thought we would. Although, admittedly, we're talking more about the the general format. Does anybody have anything else that they want to say about this story? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Is it? Is I'm, it? A little... I'm pleasantly surprised. Was it a little weird to anybody else that it felt like Shang-Chi and Leiko were going on a date to, like, Seoul or something, and then White Fox is tagged along? Yeah, like, I think he's, like, in a relationship with one of those two, but it was actually hard for me to tell which. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Leiko. Did, he had a way of tracking her down, and he yeah. mentioned, like, they agreed, to, like, it seemed like it was, like, a relationship thing, like, hey, should we have subdermal uh, trackers put in us? Yeah! Like, you know, people romantic. get, like, couples couples tattoos or something, only way more extreme. Is this a more I don't know, I might, be, I might be misreading it completely. No, no, but I, I agree with you. I, I think that's part of the evidence towards the Leiko Shang-Chi ship. But I feel like there were some, like, white fox and Shang-Chi were flirting. I'm not saying they weren't. But that makes it even weirder. Maybe they're a thruple. <laughs> no. The only real no. thruple here is Scott, Wolverine, and Gene. That's canonical. Huh. Isn't Emma Frost in there too? <laughs> no, not... No. Emma Frost. Emma Frost, Emma Frost have... is everywhere. Emma Frost <laughs> didn't have a connected room, okay? <laughs> uh, God. Anyways, I, I, I enjoyed the book is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Man, what are we going to turn into a podcast about comic book ships? <laughs> Oh man, that would be toxic. You mean like, <laughs> you mean like the Blackbird? Yes, John. Like the Blackbird. It's, Blackbird you singing in the dead of night. <sighs> take these birds. Anyway, so Captain America. <laughs> take this X-Men team and let them fly. Muir Island. <laughs> you were only waiting for Nightcrawler to arrive. <laughs> you were always waiting for Colossus to Wolverine, throw Wolverine. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> oh, you lost it. You lost it. Anyways. So Captain America. <laughs> Captain America. So this book is about Captain America dealing with um, neo-racists. or ne I, well, They're neo-Nazis, right? Like That's just what they are? Meet the new racists. Same as the old. So this book is about Captain America being sent to deal with, with kind of white nationalist terrorists. That are taking over, I forgot the name of the building, but it's the one that's around the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. I'm sure it has a, a name. It's not just called, like, Liberty Hall, right? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Liberty Hall. I'm terrible. Um, I've never been to Philadelphia, so that's my excuse, but... I've only been there vicariously through the uh, five Rocky films. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to... That's better. I thought you were going to say National Treasure. That's much better. Rocky. Oh, but... also that... <laughs> Anyways, oh, <laughs> anyway, so don't knock national treasure. Yeah. It's pretty good. So some uh, white nationalist terrorists have taken over Liberty Hall, and they're holding uh, they're holding several people hostages. Though we never really see the hostages. Yeah, we don't. It's just well, there are hostages here. Mm -hmm. Yep. But they but because they're kind of white 
but because they're white nationalists and they kind of believe they're on the right, they want to have an audience with Captain America. Captain America begrudgingly visits kind of not not necessarily for peace talks or anything like that but he's kind of going in to observe the situation because they haven't been able to get anybody in there he finds one of the well, i guess one of the double agents or one of the undercover agents that's that's it. one of the undercover agents that like the government has sent in and she's like a reporter I she's, think, a, right? she's I a reporter think yeah. So. yeah yeah she's a reporter um she was like deep undercover so he kind of works with her and they kind of figure out the situation they figure out that they're building some sort of a weapon that they've stolen the blueprints from Ulysses Claw. Now that he was in the in the award nominated Black Panther film, now we can bring him up more often in mainstream comics. <laughs> but so so they're building this kind of like sonic generator that they're going to use with the Liberty Bell to brainwash uh, people that who can hear it. So you know, it's a 50 mile wide plan. And Captain America decided that the best course of action in this situation is to destroy the Liberty Bell and then fight the rest of the terrorists and kind of take them in. Uh, similar to Shang-Chi, pretty short story, uh, doesn't doesn't meander a whole lot. It's pretty you know straightforward. We get Captain America in a bar uh, talking about talking about how, as a public figure, what you do or don't do is just as important as you know. I guess vice versa in regards to him hearing some people say some very racist things and so this kind of goes through that's that kind of echoes this whole thing right that like we can't just stand silent in the face of racism uh we have to say and or do something if that includes destroying national treasures so uh? Captain America, uh, <laughs> uh? so uh? so Captain America, uh so i mean that's kind of the story i don't really want to meander too much on like the synopsis of it uh, but I guess to I guess full circle type thing on the story is you know after he's done doing that and kind of talking out or doing the the interviews you know the regular press stuff and negotiations with the senators blah 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 he's back at the bar similar situation at the beginning he hears he overhears people saying some pretty racist stuff uh, but bef- but before he gets up to go do something about it he 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 overhears like one of the other people kind of telling that dude to shut up like don't don't say those things like that's not cool and then he just kind of quite happily just stays sitting at the bar but yeah so what did you guys think we should go over the creative team oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sorry um I, you know the thing is i have it pulled up too and i stared at it and didn't say much about it uh so the writer for this book is jay Edidin. uh pencils mm-hmm. and inks by nico leone colorists by dono dono sanchez almara and letters by uh joe sabino okay i was really impressed that jay Edidin not only can comment on comics, uh, but can write a pretty good one. I, I enjoyed this. Oh, right. Me this too. is This is Jay from Jay and Jay Miles. Jay Miles Explain the X-Men. And, and the, the deep dives they go into to explain some of the convoluted, time travely retconny, like, craziness that is the X-Men. So you'd have to know a lot about comics. So I guess... <laughs> Knowing a lot about comics can serve you well if you want to write comics, because Jay has also written some other ones. Um, oh, I looked them up earlier. Dang it! There, more. There are more comics out there. It's not just this. He wrote a Cyclops one shot. Yeah. Um, he also, I believe, used to work as an editor for Dark Horse. Oh wow! Yeah. So friends with Chris Sims as well. So that's that's something. Chris Sims does yeah. comics. Yep. Um. So so. Jay is not just like an elevated fanboy, right? He's he's a professional. He's been there for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. Which I know I know now and I'm sorry that before I was like oh, they're just, you know, 
throwing a, a podcaster a bone. This is this was but it's, well done. So it's interesting because like I got into comics kind of at the height of the comics blogger day, um, and that's when a lot of podcasts started. Like uh, I have been listening off and on to War Rocket Ajax for years. That's where Chris Sims came from. Chris Sims is very much an elevated fanboy who has been writing for Marvel Comics recently. Uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men started uh, kind of in that same sort of time period. So it's like, was Jay the professional comics creator first? And that like, what, what I, I don't actually know, was Jay actually working in publishing when uh, he started with I, uh, I forget. the podcast? I forget. Or did that come later? Like, I don't know. The, the, in a lot of geek spaces, I think the line between fan and professional is very thin. That's fair. Th- that's really all I got there. And, and another note on the team here, because we're talking, you know, a, a very, a book that's very critical about racism in the United States, kind of written by a, I believe, to be a, a, a white person, right? This Jay. Uh-huh. From, yes. from the picture I saw. I don't want to assume just based on the image. <laughs> But the creative team, or at least uh, parts of the creative team, the pencils and colors are both Hispanic. Nico Leon is an, an Argentinian artist, and Dono Sanchez Almada is a Mexican uh, colorist. Yeah, and um, Jay is white, but not... Jay is likely not unfamiliar with um, oh, right. issues of bigotry. Jay is a trans man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to take away from from that right because you don't have to be part of like a minority to be an ally and being an right. ally is very important kind of as, as we've discussed about uh brian michael bendis right and his writing on miles morales yeah right good point mm-hmm. um i think the uh the this is going to be kind of weird to say but i think jay approaches this uh concept of like racism uh or or you know bigotry from the angle of racism, because I think we can all... I, I, I hate to say it, but there is a debate. It's not a good debate, but there is a debate about what actually constitutes racism and bigotry in the United States. But I think something that we can all kind of agree on as being racist is a bunch of, of white dudes t- cracking racist jokes to each other in a bar. Like, yeah, that is racist yep. behavior from racist people. I think it's pretty uncontroversial. Yeah. Um... And the thing that, like, this story, I don't have as much to say about the art in the Captain America story, but I have tons more to say about the writing because Jay is, like, Edidin is is very clearly trying to make a point Mm -hmm. here. So so I I loved every image of Captain America. Really strong silhouette, cool poses the whole time. Yeah. I thought the art was really well done. And I'm unironically bringing this back, uh, but this felt like very solid Marvel house style. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, no. But honestly, the the art the was absolutely way, fantastic. I, I yeah. yeah, I think the colors were really good. This this feels very undeniably a Marvel Captain America book. Like the imagery, the colors. Uh, there's John mentioned that like he has a strong silhouette, but also some of the silhouetted color work is really really good. There's a lot of parts where. Captain America is in the shadows where all you can see is the white parts of his uniform. Like, yeah, really there's one image imagery. where I think it's in the fourth issue. He throws his shield and it smacks a couple of goons. And you see the shield and the goons in red. 
Yeah. It's a really good image. Yeah. Like you can see the the star and the stripe and the shield. Those are black, but everything else is red against the black background. And it's it's a really good little silhouette. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would agree with that all the Yeah. I, I so I think we're all in agreement that, you know, the art solid. Really great. Art is solid, yeah. When I say I don't have much to say about it, it's not because the art is bad. It's the art is solid. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I also don't have much to say about the art for the same reason, but I kinda wanted to make sure that we we talked about that before we moved on to right. other stuff. Unless anybody has more more to say, but yeah. There was one, uh, since, since, okay, there's one other panel, panel, there's one other image that I wanted to talk about. There's one moment where the story does this real, the really cool, like, scrolling advances the story thing, mm-hmm. where you're, like, scrolling down and you're seeing, like, this hallway full of, of the, the sons of Hancock that had the crap kicked out of him. Oh, and yeah. And at the bottom of the image is where you see Captain America walking off. Mm-hmm, that's um, yeah. That bit was really cool. Too. I liked they scrolled down the facade of Liberty Hall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Like a good way to use this format because there wasn't a whole lot like the last one where they really played around with it. it. It felt like like I still think they did some stuff with it, but it didn't feel like this was a story that couldn't have been. I mean, the other one could have been told in a normal format, too. But I'm saying like this one didn't quite do as many like tricks with it, you know, but that was one that was nice when we go from the roof down to the front steps of, of the building. It was really yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'd I actually th- forgotten about that. I one. think I think we, we want to talk about, you know, how earlier was talking about the confidence of the format not to say that the previous artist wasn't a good artist right but i think the confidence that the artists in this book have with the format is is greater than the other one which you know credit credit what credit is due because you know both teams if this is their first attempt at doing it both of them did a fantastic job um but i think here we saw you know some more creative stuff happening or at least confident maybe not more creative but definitely more confident uh work here uh so captain america totally wrecked up like the proud boys yeah i right i I, is it bad it's really bad that i really wanted like more violence (laughs) i was like these guys need to be whooped (laughs) yeah and then i was like oh that's that's not that's not good that's, that's not very I Captain America that. of me. No, no, because I'm. He he showed great restraint mm-hmm. in in his Captain America ing, <laughs> doing what he had to do. Yeah. Uh, positive I, note: We didn't see Captain America decapitate a person with a shield. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah. I don't. That's the thing I don't ever want to see again. Call back to our last. Like episode. honestly. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, you can definitely tell that, I don't know that it's it's right to say that Edidin is working something out on the page, um, but there's at the very least some sort of like projection slash wish fulfillment slash personal philosophizing going on here where Jay recognizes, and rightly so, that there is a contingent of individual in the United States who misuses the symbols of the the nascent country to further a an explicitly bigoted agenda Uh and actually that's that's called out in the text of the first issue uh this isn't even captain america saying it it's one of the uh intelligence individuals who's briefing captain america points out that the sons of hancock lead heavily on revolutionary and historical symbolism shoddily sourced and often inaccurate but who checks it plays well on tv yeah and it's like yeah that's there it is 
there's that there's so many groups that do that. That's the freaking Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers here in Utah. You've got Desnat that is basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, like these sort of like ultra patriotic right wing militias are a problem. And here Captain America wrecks a bunch of them. It's pretty great. Yeah, though yeah. I think there yeah. is you know kind of talking about that. There is something really interesting that happens in the beginning as well, right during that debriefing. That okay that briefing scene is pretty like loaded with not subtext just straight up text yeah yeah because one one of my favorite parts is is you know the the person that's debriefing them he says you know we have terrorists that have taken over liberty hall and one of the i think it's a senator or some government official whatever right he responds is like whoa whoa you know these are homegrown american boys like let's not call them terrorists too quickly or something like that right to oh. which, like, Captain America's response is, like, we have to call them by what they are. Uh, paraphrasing here, but, like, so we have to call them by what they are and not change the terminology based on the color of their skin. That type of thing. Right, which, yeah. that's a huge debate. That's that's pretty common if you read a lot about racial justice, mm-hmm. that you, you don't get called a terrorist if you're white. Yeah, exactly. And there's been a lot of pushback against that. Interestingly, like, I want to point out that the journalist, the plant, her name is, like, she's going by the name Amanda Davis... But you see, um, like on the screen, that her name is Anita Denavi, mm-hmm. which that's a Persian name. Yeah, she's not white, but she's you know she's infiltrated this white supremacist group. It's just it's just interesting. I thought that was a nice little touch. I um, I also, <laughs> uh, uh, this is one of those things where it's like this shouldn't be like funny and and you know it's kind of one of those things that like sometimes you have to sacrifice logic for you know entertainment or for the message. Um, <laughs> but she. In, in the art, she very distinctly does not look kind of like a traditional white woman. So it feels a little weird that these kind of white nationalists would kind of include somebody of her complexion. I thought she was supposed in, to be in like this group bi- biracial or, or black. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm maybe, but like it's just something, it's, but it, it was yeah. like a. Yeah, it was like, oh, how, what, what kind of, what went on to, to like get her in this group of white, white, white boys, you know? Yep. Yeah. I think there's, there's probably a conversation to be had there about passing privilege and how you can use your privilege to infiltrate white supremacist groups and bring them down from the inside, but mm-hmm. that's not the scope well, of Steven, the... I think that's well, an that's okay use of privilege. <laughs> if you're going to use it but, to yeah. get the bad guys, right? Is it is it as interesting as, as throwing like a 30-pound metal shield at somebody? Probably not, but like... Captain America throws <laughs> his mighty shield. <laughs> oh my gosh, that pops in my head every now and again when I like watch the movies or this, where he's like chucking his shield around. I like that we, like, they... Uh, He's like, I'm thinking about angles. I'm thinking about... You know, we, sh- we see, you know, a strategic side of Cap, and he's, you know, he's not just a blunt instrument, you know. I like that we got a little bit of that, how he's yeah. so much better at what he does than uh, all these idiots who are like, I could buy an AR-15 at Walmart, you know, like, oh. Yeah. Captain America makes me deeply uncomfortable because I, especially nowadays, have just this deep distrust of nationalism and yeah what is captain america if not the ultimate patriot right he he has faith in the system he's like you know encouraging people to to vote and uh has 
like, he supports the country kind of no matter what. But the thing that kind of always saves Captain America is that he is always portrayed as a bleeding heart liberal who wants... And it's not necessarily to say that, like, liberal politics are always the best because they're not always. But it's just, like, this idea that Captain America is not afraid to call the institution out when it is corrupt or going down a bad path. And this book sums it up, book, this comic, this story sums it up really nicely that Captain America prioritizes people over symbols every time. Yeah. Again, not subtext, that's text. He literally mm-hmm. destroys the Liberty Bell in order to save lives while saying people over symbols, you yeah. know? I think one of the other things that's really interesting, you know, is he talks a lot about, and, and you know, actually puts his money where the mouth is to point out that, you know, people are more important than symbols. But clearly Captain America understands the power of symbols and really understands his position as a symbol himself. And I think that's just as strong kind of writing of Captain America as as kind of some of the other stuff that we've seen in here. Because especially in the beginning, right? Like I talked about this a little bit in the in the beginning or in the um summary where he talks about how Captain America hanging out in a bar overhearing, you know, racist conversations. Him not doing anything about that is sends a strong message, right? Because him not doing anything about it is as good as him endorsing it. So he has to do something to stop it. And that kind of carries, you know, straight through to when they're asking him to meet with the sons of Hancock. Because they're not asking him to, like, fight them, right? They're asking him to, like, go shake hands and infiltrate and he's like well what is it gonna look like when the when america does negotiate with terrorists and they're american white terrorists and captain america goes in and shakes hands as opposed to like any other kind of terrorist endeavor yeah there would be no hesitation if it was anything other than a a white former congressman you know yeah just yeah that is that is frustrating that was I, I'm glad. I mean, the whole time I was reading it, I was like, "Oh, geez, this is a direct response to January 6th. Oh, it really you is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And just and, and like cathartic, sure, but also made me realize, like, oh, I shouldn't be like rooting for people to get wailed on by Cap <laughs> Shield, like, you know, without without a bomb that you set off in the Liberty in the Liberty Bell. Is there a way to change hearts and minds at this point? <laughs> you know, are we past are we past the point of being able to reason with people who are so vastly different? I don't know how people who like are because there are people like this. I like how do they lose their way? Like how did they, what made them like this? I just I cannot fathom it. And I think part of that glimmer of hope, right, that this book tries to end on, or I think it does end on, is that sometimes just sometimes it, all it takes is one person, right? It has to start with one person being corrected and. I think Captain America's example here is probably a little over the top because he, you know, Captain America is a super soldier who has physically threatened uh, some drunk racist fella at a bar. But hey, that got the job done, right? Like it convinced him to maybe rethink his stance on, you know, racist speech. And we see that, you know, ripple at the end of the book when we, I think it's, it might be the same person or it might be a different one. But the point is like, we, yeah, but we see, you know, that same type of conversation happening and we see that person stop it and it's kind of one of those things where it's like we can't change everybody's mind but sometimes just starting with one person is good enough and like that has to be good enough yeah um i don't i don't i don't know 
It's, I, I don't know that I love the idea of literally, like, attacking and beating up a person who, who says something racist, but at the same time, it's a superhero comic, so of course they gotta do it violently, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But, yeah, it's, regardless... And uh, sometimes it's just cathartic, Steven. It, it is, it is. Again, <laughs> this is a that's, really... That's my stance, it's like, you shouldn't hit people you disagree with, but mm-hmm. I'm never gonna get sad when a Nazi gets punched in the face. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> Especially not by Captain America. Captain no. America's whole deal is he punches Nazis. It's on the cover of the first issue. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my very first Inktober drawings. Was a picture of Captain America giving a thumbs up and saying, "I punch Nazis." Because <laughs> guess what? Captain America punches Nazis. Yeah, canonically, every day, this day, and forever. It, it, Captain America only wears Adidas, and Adidas here, of course, stands for all day. I dream about socking it to some Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a, the it's a really title. strong ass. a lot of subtext actually so talking about subtext (laughs) this is this is my only real complaint with this book because i really don't have a lot of complaints about this book i like this book a lot more than i expected to granted i kind of for some reason i always go with low expectations with any like non-brubaker captain america book and that's unfair to everybody (laughs) That's not yeah, Drew Baker, but, but... I mean... It's understandable, though. Completely yeah. understandable. <laughs> yeah. I think my only complaint here is... And I'm so kind of two sides on this. I hate that we don't actually see the racist speech that's being done. Because when it's portrayed, it's portrayed as one of those, like, redacted things, right? It's covered in black ink, and it just says, very racist conversation happening here, and there's other stuff that's like, um, Seriously, you can't say this in a Captain America comic. Yeah, exactly. And That's and, the one I remember. Yeah, there's, yeah, and then there's also, well, that one wasn't a, a racist thing, that was, um, what's her name? A cuss. Yeah, it was a cuss, Insulting right. them, yeah. Yeah. But also, yeah, and then at the end, it's like... Come on, are we still saying these types of... And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I understand it because, you know, when we paint with a broad stroke, it also helps kind of get that point across, right? Because it helps... It's not just racist speech, right? Because that sort of speech applies to a lot of different groups. So, like, when you don't make it something specific, it makes it a lot more... a lot more inclusive so you know everybody can can fill that in with like the the specific slurs or insults that they've heard about themselves in that time right so like when i see that like i have specific things that come to my head about stuff that i've heard as opposed to like somebody else from a different minority however i also feel like it the impact isn't as strong when it's not specific and and i'm kind of two sides on this where it's like on one hand i understand and appreciate why they did it the way they did it but on the other hand i think it's i would have liked to have seen like a like i guess like <laughs> what type of specific racism right not that it changes yeah. or matters but it, it feels not as strong and that's just kind of my opinion yeah i think there's some editorial uh issues at play here where it's like you can't actually put that in a captain america comic like not at least not one for for general consent or consumption because captain america is still a kid's book yeah really yeah exactly so where i say i think if you were reading i don't know let's say a book by like a more mature writer for a more mature audience <clears throat> Brewbreaker, um <laughs> and and the mission included him sending captain america over to like a specific country or something like that we'd get more specific insults or something like that right if we were dealing with a more specific group of people i think those conversations would be a little less would be a little bit more focused not less focused as we're kind of seeing them here if that 
if what I'm trying I, to say makes sense. You, what you're saying makes sense, although, and you have a good point, and you might be right. I'm just glad that we were spared hearing us. Like, there's too much of that in the real world, and so this was a little break. And then also, I think, you know, the reader can fill in whatever it is. Like you said, you know, maybe they're, like, without specifically narrowing it down. Because then, you know, if your group's not affected, it's not as impactful for you. Right. Leaving it open to being awful to everyone or, you know, who knows who they're being awful to. People can insert themselves into this this equation. I think that, yeah. you know, that's that's what makes, you know, certain superheroes successful. Anyone could be that hero or they can imagine themselves in that situation based on how the story is told. Mm-hmm. You know, in this situation, we're given empathy for the other, for whoever this group is against, because what if it's us? What if it's, you know, yeah. people we love? What You know, it could be anybody. So, yes, it would be more impactful if it was specific, but I think that there's some value to having it as it was. And, and I don't want to read the naughty words and the <laughs> things that are hurtful and racist and awful. <laughs> okay. But also, okay, also this goes, I, I can't remember who, which stand-up comedian said this, and it might be one of the ones that's not cool to really talk about anymore. Uh-oh. <laughs> but somebody said, if you're just gonna, if you're gonna say the, if you're, if you're just gonna say F word or fudge this or fudge that, you're putting the, you're putting the word in my head and you're blaming me for thinking the word when you're the one that put the idea in there. So you might as well just say the word because we all know what word you're trying to not say anyway. <laughs> that's a good point. There you are. Anyways, <laughs> that's that's my uh, one critique on this uh, otherwise uh, very, very, very good book. I think on that note, we're probably ready for the ranking, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, sure. We, that was a, that was a good conversation, folks. I don't. I don't know that I expected it to go that long, but it was good. So, currently we have 166 stories on our list, uh, starting with the the number one spot, we've got No Normal. At the number 166 spot, which is 500 away from where it is supposed to be, The Evil That Men Do. So, where do we rank this uh, Shang-Chi Infinity? I don't know what to call it. I don't think the story actually had a title. Shang-Finity. I don't know. No, um, Shang-Chi-nity? <laughs> Shang-Finity. I, I do think it's it's like Shang-Chi Infinity comic or something like that. Where does it go? I think once we get at some point in the like 100s, 110s and stuff, there's kind of a meh area. And I think it's better than meh. Um, I think I'm, I'm looking at somewhere around 70. Okay, that's actually kind of in the neighborhood I'm looking. Yeah. Um, my, my starting point was actually the Star Wars A New Hope manga. Because what I've said is, like, if you want to kind of learn how comics work, you should read that Star Wars A New Hope manga. Yeah. If you want to know how, like, phone comics work, that Shang-Chi comic's a pretty decent starting point. Yeah. It's not like a master class, but it's also good and, and competent and shows off some of the capabilities of the medium. So I think... It, that's a decent comparison. I just don't know where it goes from there. I was going to say 80. I think this is... I don't know that I would say 100%. Actually, yeah, I think this is better than The Better to Give, which is a Wolverine Christmas story. Oh, yeah. But I don't think it's as good as the Marvel 1000. Yeah. I don't I don't hate it. I mean, no, it's no. it's a good neighborhood for it to be in. And like we said, it's, it's mostly interesting for the art and for the images, not necessarily for the story, which is fine. This is a fine section of the list. Yeah. So, 80 feel good i actually yep i think that's fine yeah all right and captain america infinity comic whatever uh 
goes higher, I would say. Yes. Um, goes weirdly high. Yeah. Right? Because I'm, lo- I'm looking at this, and I, I just, I know that I'm going to get pushed back from this. I like it better than Truth, Red, White, and Black. As important as that is, I just, quality-wise... You know, I like the art better here, and the storytelling was much clearer. Um, yeah, I would put it above fifty, but I know I'm going to be downvoted. So you, 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 you say that, and I'm not sure that I agree. Like that, you're going to get downvoted because oh. I kind of I want to put this above Karnak. Wow, that's still so I actually want to put it. I want to put it at the new 34, I think. I was going to say, I actually do have a hard time putting it above uh, Red, White, and Black. Because of what that means? What? Uh, well, because well, because I think Red, Black, what, Red, White, and Black fixes like my one issue that I have with this book, which is that it's a, a lot more concentrated. It's a more, lot more specific on the type of like racism and stuff, right? Is it, it's still relevant, um, and it's also, but they're also dealing with different like issues, right? Because one of them is, you know, the, subjugation and hiding of black history and stories and the other one is about white nationalists and insurrections so uh, it's you know i i think i i I wouldn't put it above karnak because i think karnak as a story is probably a little stronger but i think the messaging that it's trying to tell is uh strong i don't know that you know the whole story carries it up that high but that's that's just my two cents admittedly admittedly i'm just writing the buzz of watching captain america wreck white nationalists right yeah. Uh, yeah is this story actually an all-timer i don't i don't know um and i do think it's it's interesting to compare it to red white and black because they are different stories with different goals mm-hmm. um tackling despite the fact that there is this kind of overlap of you know, uh, racism and uh, white supremacy in both stories. They're approaching it from very different angles. Captain America still centers whiteness, and because they're other than uh, the the Persian journalist, mm-hmm. there are basically no people of color in the story at all. And Truth, Red, White, and Black has very you know clear, strong. Uh, black protagonists it's it's all about the black experience whereas the infinity comics more about the white reaction to trouble in their own ranks as it were yeah uh, all that to say is uh i i'm gonna lean lower from where you're at but i will go where the votes go i and the thing is the only reason that i bump it all the way up to 34 is because where i really first start to have trouble is is strange academy because i just really liked strange academy oh, yeah. mm. um but then my eyes immediately flipped up to Karnak, and I just remember walking out of Karnak, liking Karnak, but also feeling a bit down. And this one kind of makes me feel pumped, because it's a Captain America story that's all about inspiring hope. Mm-hmm. And that makes me want to put it that high. But I admit that's probably too enthusiastic about this story. So I'm, I'm okay to take it lower than that. Um, so I think the conversation is a, is around truth red white and black and here's the thing if we put it up if we if we were to put it above i'd want to put it above the autobiography of matt murdoch too that's fair no i keep going up the list and i keep going no this was better this was better this was better and i keep going up i keep going up i keep going up and then you know hit better a bill and i just know that's a non-starter because steven's in the room so which one virtually (laughs) beta ray bill oh (laughs) that's a strong book and honestly, to be fair, the, the neighborhood of 34 to 50, as big as it sounds, it's not a bad neighborhood at all. 
That's a really yeah. strong They're all kind of the same. Stuff. They're all good. Yeah, yeah. Really all. solid stuff here. So, yeah, yeah. I forget I'll... what Escape to Terror is, uh, John Byrne and Stan Lee. That's a silver... Is that That's where that it's silver a Silver Surfer, Surfer origin? Mephisto story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty good. Ign- ignoring the uh, ignoring red, white, and black, I would put this above un- Unstoppable Wasp. Yeah. I okay. Let's put it thirty nine. Let's put yeah. it between. The, I, that kind of splits the difference. Yeah. I, I think that's reasonable. I don't know how to tell folks which issues we're reading because oh. next time we're going nineties X Men event comic. I, don't. I will. I what will was... do the honors. I have it here. Because it is, luckily, as on this podcast we read from Marvel Unlimited, they are nice enough to put in reading lists. So, the only tricky part is spelling Executioner's song, because it's not E-Executioner, it's X-Cutioner, which, (laughs) when I was, I think, eight when I first read this, I was like, I don't... I don't know what's going on here because it was a weird title and, uh, you know, reading was still pretty new. <laughs> so, executioner. Um, C-U-T-I-O-N-E-R <laughs> apostrophe S. Executioner's Song Reading Guide. So, we start with Uncanny X-Men... Issue 294. Uh, Then we move to X-Factor, issue 84. X-Men, issue 14. X-Force, issue 16. Back to Uncanny X-Men 295. X-Factor, issue 85. X-Men, issue 15. X-Force, issue 17. Uncanny X-Men, issue 296. X-Factor, issue 86, X-Men, issue 16, X-Force, X-Force, issue 18, Uncanny X-Men, issue 297, and then, I guess, Strife's Strike File, issue 1. So, we're going back to 1992, everybody, the fall of 1992 and winter of 1992. Um, it's going to be great. This is uh, big pouches and belt era of X-Men. Um, Not to mention foil covers, the cover for Strife's Strike File. That, like, takes mm -hmm. me back to looking at comics on the spinner rack at Toys R Us, for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah. I think I owned... I know I had um, one of these X-Force ones. Now I gotta look at it. Yeah, I owned uh, this X-Force 17. It's like part 8. Um, I've read some of these other ones, but Apocalypse is in the mix here. Strife is in the mix. This is a Cable and Strife story, and we see Strife and Apocalypse, you know, their whole thing. Um, I forget if this is, like, hailed as a good example or a bad example of X-Men. I think it's going to be both. And it's 90s, and it's a big, long story, and I apologize in advance. But um, if it helps, I have to summarize it next time. So I anticipate <laughs> running out of saliva as my mouth tries. And then, and then they, they got into a spaceship, and oh, Cable did a thing, and I'm just, I'm just gonna, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're reading Executioner's song next time. Uh, have we read any other like crazy '90s X-Men events? Like we've read a fair number of X-Men events: Messiah Complex, Messiah War. The only other X-Men event that I remember us reading was uh, Fatal Attractions. Yeah, I'm thinking of other 90s stuff, but... Yeah, Dark Phoenix was 80s, so... Oh, that's right. We did that. read that one, too. So, I don't know. 
of course, you know, when it's John's turn to pick the story, he goes with an X-Men comic. I offered another X-Men comic, so... <laughs>